Hello, and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Melissa Odin from the Abortion Survivors Network. Thank you for joining us today, Melissa. I am thrilled to be joining you. So exciting. I don't think 14-year-old Colleen attending pro-life conferences was ever, ever thought I'd be here interviewing you, but it's really exciting. So can you? Well, and in, yeah. I, I don't really want to know how old you are, I think, right now, because that would say a lot about me and how long I've been in the movement. So we'll just focus on what a beautiful thing it is for young people to be raised up in the movement and go on to do great things, right? Yes, exactly. And I will say that your daughter was the first one who ever made me feel old. So it goes both ways. <laughs> but um, yeah, so one thing I love about having heard your story many times throughout the years is that it there's always more to it. So can you just tell your story for our listeners? Because I remember that when I first heard it, there wasn't a lot of, de- like there was details, but each time I've heard you say it since then, there's been more to the story. So can you just, yeah, start sharing that with our listeners? That's a great point. I think sometimes people forget, even for, you know, abortion survivors or women who have experienced abortions or, you know, anybody who's involved in the pro-life movement, say a former abortionist who's is gone through conversion, life doesn't end there, right? Our story doesn't end when we enter the pro-life movement and we start sharing our story. And that's an encouragement in and of itself that the story is not done, but it certainly does, um, I don't wanna say complicate things, but imagine what it's like for somebody like me as an abortion survivor to take the first step, step to even share my story back in 2007 and know this much of the story and then get involved in the pro-life movement and then start to have communication with my biological mother and her family and then receive all this other information, right? That's why the story has changed and shifted because God has moved and uh, it's not an easy journey, but I think it's a good lesson for all of us that, that the story is not done being written. My story first started 46 years ago. My birth mother was forced to undergo a saline infusion abortion She was 19, she was a college student. And like a lot of women, right, she was not given any other choice. Uh, Our culture likes to throw around that word like there is a choice, but most women don't identify having any real choice. And that was my birth mom's experience. Her mother, my maternal grandmother was a prominent nurse in Sioux City, Iowa. I now know that my grandmother worked hand in hand with one of the OBs there in town who they could be delivering a baby. And obviously they could also be aborting a baby. And so that's how the secret forced abortion took place on my birth mother. She didn't know for really almost the entire pregnancy that she was even pregnant. She, right, was like many women had just a a lot of um, missed cycles in her period and things like that. She was an athlete. Um, She obviously was probably in a lot of denial. I'm sure she was scared. Uh, And so she didn't know that she was pregnant. And suddenly in August of 1977, this grandmother, right, my grandmother, her mother could recognize the signs of pregnancy within her and confronted her. And that's shocking enough, I think, for a 19 year old to be like, I'm pregnant. But then also the shock that came from being told, we're going to take care of this. And so I now know from from talking with family members how they can remember the windows on the house rattling, hearing my grandmother's words to my birth mom and my biological father who were engaged to be married. 
that there was no decision to be made that that abortion was going to take place. Wow. That's, that's really hard. And so that's what led to the saline infusion abortion. Within days, my birth mother was forced into that hospital. And that saline infusion abortion, a lot of people who have been involved in the pro-life movement over the years remember the saline infusion because it was the most common procedure performed back then. And, you know, it's not pretty to hear about, but people need to face the reality of abortion. That saline infusion abortion involved injecting a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid. So they pull some of that, some of the amniotic fluid out. So it would create space to then inject that toxic salt solution. And then usually within about three days, the, the baby's life would be successfully ended by it, by being poisoned and scalded. We actually know through my medical records that the abortion took even longer with me because they could not induce my birth mother's labor successfully. They just kept trying. And you know, now I know that not only did they think the abortion would end my life, it was supposed to, right? That was the end goal. But they also were starting to believe that it was going to end my birth mother's life because it was going on that long. And I think our culture needs to face that as well. You know, every time an abortion is performed, the intent is to end the baby's life. And unfortunately, women's lives also are in danger by those abortions. Yeah. I believe that was the same type of abortion that Robin Sertel went through because she was on our podcast back in, I believe it was March that it was released. And she went through That's three right. of them. And that was insane because I'd heard your story. And then she's like, yeah, I went through three. And I'm like, this is, yeah, it's, I can't imagine either situation. And that's also, I think, one of those things that even the pro-life movement, they understand that babies can survive multiple attempts to abort them. But I can tell you, even for us at the Abortion Survivors Network, that has been something that our eyes have been so open to post-Roe. You know, what we're experiencing now is that even women who are undergoing chemical abortions, they're taking those pills so much earlier on in their pregnancy. And what that's doing is resulting in a failed chemical abortion earlier on in the pregnancy, which gives them more and more time to face the uncertainty of their child's life, right? What have I done? Tell me what my child's life is gonna be looking like. Is there any hope? And you have OBs and abortion clinics saying, hey, listen, if your abortion fails, which, you know, it doesn't, right? They don't wanna say that, but boy, if you come to us and it has, there is one option for you and that's another abortion. So we know that through the lives of people like Robin and other adult survivors that we've served over the years at the Abortion Survivors Network, but now we see it going on day in and day out. Have you seen an increase of them since the chemical abortions have been more common? We have. Um, you know, at the time that you and I are sitting down to have this conversation, we just celebrated a baby being born in Nigeria. I know it's our first, it's our it's our first baby that we can clearly indicate and say this baby, Buffalo, which means life. We are loving this. This is the first baby we can say mom took both abortion pills, um, thought it was successful, right? Because that's what women are told as they leave the clinic. You're good to go. <clears throat> mom had a pain in her stomach months later and went to the doctor thinking, I've got some sort of GI issue. Turned out she was still pregnant. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, I guess I would think with the chemical abortion pills, because you take them so early on that women would just realize that it didn't work and 
unfortunately go get an abortion later or hopefully choose to keep the child. I hadn't thought about the fact that they might just think that it worked and a few like months later give birth. It's crazy. Right. Very rarely does a woman leave the abortion clinic knowing that the abortion failed. And, you know, we've heard recently that um, at pregnancy centers, 70% of them identified women coming in who they could tell were attempting to see if the abortion that they had 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 been successful. So they're coming into pregnancy centers to confirm that the abortion worked. Wow. That's... I mean, I guess that's good if the abortion didn't work because then the pregnancy center can be there to help them and help them choose life going forward. But that's really interesting. And then you were adopted after you survived the abortion, correct? That's right. That's right. So every survivor's story is diverse, right? Everybody's story is different. Robin, who you interviewed, uh, was raised in her biological family. And we have found far more survivors are raised in their biological family than placed for adoption. That is not one of those things that I saw coming when I started to work in our survivor population, but it makes sense when we know that the baby was not the problem. Yeah, that's true. It was whatever the stressor, whatever the trauma, right? Whatever circumstances they were facing. But I'm, you know, as you heard in Robin's circumstances, families need a lot of healing and support after even an abortion has failed. Uh, but through through my circumstances, my storyline went differently. So, you know, I soaked in that toxic salt solution for five days. They believed that it would be successful. On the fifth day, they induced my birth mother's labor and I was accidentally born alive. I'm sort of that poster child of what most people look like, right? Of like, oh, that that's a born alive infant. Well, you know, everybody's experience is different. And that's what we want the world to understand, that that abortion survivors are people who experience abortions failing, like a, a saline infusion, abortions being stopped. We're going to be launching some videos in September with the survivor of a stopped late-term abortion. Women stop their abortions. I'm pretty sure the abortion clinics aren't super excited about that. But I want women to know that they can stop them and babies can have good outcomes and women can have good outcomes. And abortion survivors are also people who survive reversed abortions, reversed chemical abortions. So, you know, everybody's circumstance is different. But, you know, I was accidentally born alive in the final step, was not immediately provided medical care, but God blessed me with a nurse who rushed me off to the NICU. Uh, and I am honored to know one of the NICU nurses who received me there that day. And, um, you know, that's what set the path to me then being placed for adoption. So, you know, I knew growing up I was adopted. I knew that I had had health issues when I was uh, a baby, but I knew lots of people like me. And I didn't find out my story till I was 14. How did you find out? Yeah, that was another accident, uh, a divine accident, right? I guess that's what we would call that. Um, my older sister was a high, a high school student and was facing an unplanned pregnancy. And my parents found out that she was not sure about what she was going to do <clears throat> with that pregnancy. And so I think like many parents in that position, they were contemplating what to say, right? How do you make a difference at this time of crisis? And so they broke their silence and told her the story of my survival. So they knew it, right? Other people in our family knew it. Um, and so that's ultimately what they told my sister. And 
obviously my parents learned through that how quickly two girls can share a secret. I mean, we can laugh about that now. 30 years ago, obviously it was not as funny because, you know, they told her my story and she got to me with that information before they could share it. Was that hard to find out through your sister? Oh gosh. Yeah. I, I pulled survivors once recently and said, you know, if you could find out your story in a different way, do you wish it could have been different? And it was a unanimous room full of hands of, man, I wish my story had been different. And I had also asked, uh, you know, if, do you feel like your life could have been different if your family had been supported? And again, unanimous show of hands. And that's not just biological family, that's adoptive families as well. You know, my mom and dad, they know how much I love and appreciate them. And I know that they were doing the best that they could with what they had. Adoption professionals don't talk to adoptive families about how you handle this. I was meeting with some adoption professionals recently and they said, oh my gosh, we've never, we know that this happens, but we've never talked to adoptive parents about how to have these hard conversations. That's where we come in. We can be that support. We can help educate the professionals. But my mom and dad didn't have anybody, right? So in a parent's mind, they're thinking, we just shouldn't talk about this. It's got to be better than talking about this. And they never could have imagined that by telling me my story, it would be so traumatic. And I think a lot of survivors, we hide things very well. You know, I'm an innate people pleaser, believe it or not. I I used to not want to rock the boat, right? I if you would have said, "Hey, someday you're going to share your story and it's going to make people uncomfortable and your culture probably doesn't want to hear you." I never would have signed up for this. Yeah. And so that's where my parents were at is doing the best that they could so I hid it, right? Of, "Oh gosh, I'm fine," right? I don't you guys have struggled enough. I I'm not going to tell anybody that I secretly loathe myself that I live, I know I live in a culture that doesn't like people like me. And so I turned my pain inward. And that was one of those things that I didn't understand years ago, that what I went through is so common for survivors. When you survive something traumatic in the womb, it changes you. And we know that research tells us that, right? Babies in the womb experience the stress that their mothers experience. And so it changes your makeup, it rewires you. And then, so think about a, an abortion survivor who is subjected to the pain of an abortion. First they had the stress mom was under, then the pain of the abortion, and then maybe it's the lack of medical care when they're first born. Maybe it's a stay in the NICU, an adoption placement, right? We have these building blocks of trauma. And that's what I try to educate families about is, man, you think you're doing the right thing by not talking about it, but survivors, feel like we're different. We know that there's something about us that is different and we can't quite understand. So knowledge is power, right? If you find out, gosh, that was that external thing that happened to me that has rewired me, I can have some sense of control over changing that. Is that part of what you do with the Abortion Survivors Network is provide that counseling for adoption agencies and parents and to help them through it as well as abortion survivors themselves? It is. You know, I think like a lot of organizations, we've undergone a lot of strategic planning post row. And what we found is that we have so many people who need our services. So 
we offer healing support. So I wrote a healing curriculum that survivors go through. So survivors around the world can access our videos. We have uh, speakers training. So we even changed that this year. So survivors and moms and family members can access it and learn how to share their story and stay emotionally well, right? That's for me, that is the most important thing. It doesn't mean everybody's going to take a microphone, but man, if you can know how to share your story, even if it's just a hard conversation in your family, that's a generation shifter right there. So we offer those. We offer one-on-one support for moms who are maybe pregnant right now with the baby they attempted to abort and they are uncertain about future, right? Just like that mom who just gave birth, our social worker was honored to walk alongside her throughout this pregnancy. And she will continue to walk alongside her to support her as a parent because there are all of these emotions, right? All of these fears and concerns over the time that baby grows up and then bonding and attaching and all of those things. We are in a new time in the pro-life movement where we have to come alongside not just survivors, but moms and family members. We offer support groups for adoptive parents, just like my mom and dad, so they can learn how and when and what to tell their child their story. We work with childhood age survivors. Some of the coolest photos I get is, you know, a 12 year old survivor uh, and get to celebrate their birthday with them, right? This is how we change families and we change lives and we change culture. So we also equip professionals. We're coming along pregnancy centers to say, hey, what's your intake look like? How would you know if a woman came in and she attempted an abortion? Are we even asking the right questions? And then we get to be there as a referral source. That's amazing. Yeah, it's like a niche that we totally need to be involved in that affects so many people. And I don't think there was anything really for that until you started the network, correct? (laughs) That's right. I mean, that's a funny story as well. You know, people will go, how did you start this? Uh, By God hitting me over the head with a two by four. You know, I got involved in the pro-life movement in 2007. That's how you knew me as a speaker, as you were growing up in the movement. And, you know, obviously people knew me from, you know, going to testify before Congress and doing lots of advocacy pieces writing my first book, You Carried Me. I have another book coming out with Focus on the Family in January of 2024 uh, with Cindy Lambert, who wrote Unplanned with Abby Johnson. It tells a story about 12 other abortion survivors and women who have experienced a failed or stopped abortion. So that's called Abortion Survivors Break Their Silence. We've never had a book like that before. So that's you know how people knew me, but what they didn't recognize, I don't think, is all that time that I was doing those things, I was doing everything I could for survivors and parents and the world was on fire and I was on fire. And I got to this place in 2019 where I was praying and saying, Lord, you got to bring the people, right? Like show me who it is who can help this population because (laughs) I can't do it anymore. And I will never forget waking up one morning and I went, oh my gosh, it's me. (laughs) Uh, it's been me all along. And there's something both, you know, super humbling and exhilarating and super, super scary about that moment. Yeah. So you started that in 2019. I didn't realize it was so recent. That's, yeah, that's good to know. Yes. So baby organization really in the grand scheme of things with huge impact, right? Like, yeah, and I am just super grateful for the faithfulness of God that has led us to this place. And for us to be involved in so many things, right? We serve survivors around the world. So we have 
survivors in community Zooms who are gathering up monthly. We're launching advocates and ambassadors in September, something the, the movement or culture has never seen. So we underwent this big transition where we are now launching survivors in their states and various places throughout the world. So we partner with Pro-Life Global and they assist in launching our international survivors. And so survivors are gonna be listed on our website. People can go to abortionsurvivors.org, click on our map, see who you have in your state and contact them. But survivors aren't just speaking. Advocates are folks who are simply gonna be showing up on the sidewalk showing up at your pregnancy center event, right? Being their real selves, being real people who have these real stories. And for me, that is culture shifting because it's one thing for me to show up somewhere, but it's another thing for people to meet people in their own community and go, whoa, wait a minute. It's exciting. It's amazing that you're going to have that presence too. Like, again, like you're saying, just having a person who's there saying like, I survived an abortion, like, you can hear abortion survivor and it's kind of this vague idea that people don't know about. But when you meet someone face to face and you realize like this individual, this person who I see at the grocery store survived an abortion, like that's that's a really powerful. So you're launching that all over. Yeah. And then what does it look like from the international yeah. perspective? Because I know we were talking before this, our uh, affiliate in Hungary as an abortion survivor. So do you see a lot of abortion survivors around the world as well? We do. So yes, Dr. Tiglossi was in our uh, Faces of Choice ad back in 2020 that was supposed to go to Fox during the Super Bowl, but dun, 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 spoiler alert. <laughs> I know everybody's surprised we weren't successful. We knew what this was going to look like, but you know, it became a great opportunity to educate the public about the fact that there are abortion survivors and that even within media that we think might be friendly, to the cause, there are still obstacles that exist. So he was involved in that. And yeah, there are abortion survivors around the world. So just in the last few months, we've launched a survivor in France. We are launching someone in Germany, someone in Australia, someone in South Africa. Oh man, I know that there's others that I'm missing. We have, um, oh, I mean, just all over the place, we are working with survivors. Now, what I think people probably shouldn't be surprised by is that abortion survivors in those countries look different. So we tend to see a lot of folks who attempted, folks attempted abortions at home. So drinking chemicals, uh, man, I hear so many stories of folks who are trying to cause physical pain and suffering. The woman is, or someone is upon her to induce the baby's demise. And I want people to understand we don't we don't throw away the term right casually an abortion survivor. But anytime you're attempting to end someone's life, that is attempting to abort them. And the other side kind of comes at that to say, well, you know, we're just trying to induce a miscarriage. I've had a miscarriage. I didn't try to end my baby's life and I'm not trying to condemn any women. Right. Um, I never am, but I need the world to stop throwing these words around very casually because words have meaning and power. Yeah. What was it like reconnecting with your biological family or connecting originally with your biological family? Because that was the part that unfolded throughout the years when I was hearing you talk. I think the first time you hadn't really connected with anyone and then you'd connected with grandparents and your father and eventually your mother. And that was really beautiful to hear how that all unfolded. So what was that like for you? 
Yeah, again, every survivor's experience is very different in terms of, you know, do they, if they're an adoptee, do they search for their biological family and do they have medical records? And, you know, what does that journey look like? And for me, I got involved in the pro-life movement right about the same time that I got my medical records and I found out who my birth parents were. And so it shouldn't be surprising when we know that there were secrets about this forced abortion that there were going to be more secrets that follow. But, you know, you're living your life. I'm, I'm having children. I'm, I'm working very hard. And my brain isn't ever going to the place that says, hey, this is probably going to get worse. Right. Like you are going to find out things that are going to rock your world. But I was searching for my biological parents and had some some contact with uh, both maternal and paternal sides of uh, my family. But my birth father passed away very early on after I found out who he was. And, you know, gratefully, his family was still a part of my life. My grandfather died just a couple of years ago. Some of you have seen me share photos of him with uh, our oldest daughter, Olivia. I was just so honored to have him be in my life for as long as I did. But in terms of my birth mom, there wasn't a lot of communication. Her family responded uh, back in 2007 and just had said, right, there's not going to be any messages passed along to her. And I never could quite put my finger on why that was until six years later, my family and I moved to Kansas City, which is still home for us. And not long after we moved here, I got an email from somebody in her family. I had announced publicly that we were moving here. And... What I never could have imagined is that when we moved to Kansas City, I did not know that this is where my birth mother lives. So I had lived in Sioux City, which is where my birth mother's abortion took place, which is where I gave birth in the very same hospital. Our Olivia was born at St. Luke's Hospital. And I also had told God over the years, I would never do that. Don't do that, Colleen, because it never ends well. <laughs> I mean, it does, but it's very humbling. But so I moved from the city where my birth father was to the city where my birth mother is. I mean, I like to tell people God is a God of reconciliation. This is what he wants for people. But she was here. And so imagine sort of my shock of finding out she's here. And then the shock of her family saying, hey, there's way more to the story. And the way more to the story are things that even my adoptive parents didn't know. And the biggest piece really was that my birth mother had been told that day that the abortion was successful. So she spent over 30 years of her life believing that I had died in that abortion. Oh my gosh. She knows she is so blessed that there are so many women who wish they could be in her shoes to have their baby alive after their abortion. And I can tell you, it doesn't matter how many years I've done this work. That is particularly heartbreaking for me when a woman will reach out and say, can you tell me if my baby survived my abortion? Because I would do anything to find out my baby is alive. So we have women who ask for us to keep their information in the hopes that if one of the survivors comes along, that's an adoptee, that we can match them up. Has that ever happened? Not yet that we've had a match, but boy, we've had some really amazing things happen with survivors who reach out for biological family. And ultimately, you know, we've done work to obtain medical records. We've had some success with that. And then we've had some survivors make connection with their biological family. And 
you know, it's not easy. These stories are not easy because abortion is not easy. It does destructive things to people and to families and to our culture. But I have seen so many amazing beginnings of healing that I think survivors and mothers have never seen coming. You really have a ministry of healing, like just from everything you're saying. It's just there's so much healing coming from such places of hurt and then finding people to be able to reconcile and heal. And like you said, God is a God of reconciliation. Like it's so beautiful. Yeah. And it shouldn't have to be this hard, right? I mean, that's honestly, I think about that so often is like, man, what if, what if women knew that abortions could fail or they could stop them or they're reversed and there's hope, right? What if survivors knew that they weren't alone in this? What if, right? Women knew that. And so obviously that's where the work of doing, but man, if people can pray for us to break through the strongholds in our culture that want people to not know that we exist, that want us to, right, just go quietly into the good night, we need people to pray. When you say women stop abortions, are you talking about women who, like, for instance, are taking the chemical abortion and just take the first pill and don't take the second? Or are you talking about people who stop surgical abortions? What does that, what does that mean? <laughs> that's, that's right. I know, right? People kind of go, whoa, wait, what? I will be doing a webinar in September. So we're launching a Baby Survive Abortions Awareness Month in September. And we now know that we're going to make this an annual campaign. You know, there's a couple of important dates in September, uh, the National Day of Remembrance for Aborted Children. And there's also the International Day of Safe Abortion, which is not really safe. So we're taking the month of September with these important dates to say, hey, you know what? It's also really important that we remember that babies survive abortions. And they do every single day at every gestation for every type of procedure. And there is hope to be found in that. So one of the things that I'll be doing is relaunching my podcast. Um, so the the Life and Hope podcast, because where there is life, there is hope. And that's what we want people to know. But I'm also going to be doing a webinar to talk about the history of abortion survivors. So how long has this been happening? What does it mean to say a failed abortion? What does it mean to say a stopped abortion? What is a reversed abortion? And who were some of those survivors? Then we're even going to launch through some of the most painful parts, which includes the history of research being done on aborted children, right? On survivors, not just aborted children, but survivors. And so when we talk about stopped, what you're going to find in that webinar is, you know, women stop late term abortions. So one of the stories you guys are going to see very loud and clear in September is a survivor out of Georgia named Lauren. Lauren's mom had a late-term abortion and the story in and of itself is beautiful like miracle after miracle and prayer after prayer that was answered and it gives me chills even right now as i say that no story ever surprises me like god continues to outdo himself but in lauren's story her mom ended up going to finally successfully start a late-term abortion so they inserted the laminaria right she would have needed to come back the next day to finish the abortion procedure probably would have done likely a dne Tear Lauren limb from limb, who is now the mom of three boys. But in the middle of that, another miracle happened. And I'm not going to spoil the story, but what I can tell you is that Lauren's mom didn't go back to complete the abortion the next day. And so after that continued the pregnancy, you know, again, women have different outcomes, but I want women to know there's always hope even after that as well, whether you're put on bed rest right? Whether you're leaking amniotic fluid, I mean, we need to be honest. There are risks to women. There are risks to the survivor. 
but there's also hope. So mom continued that pregnancy, was cared for by somebody who took wonderful care of her and you're gonna meet her as well. It's an encouragement to all of us about what we need to do when people are in crisis and in need. But mom ended up going into premature labor. They weren't expecting that, um, but she went into preterm labor and Lauren was born very, very prematurely. But guess what? She's alive and well and a successful woman and a mom. And this is what I want people to know. So stopped abortions aren't just a chemical abortion that people reverse. A stopped abortion is a stopped late term abortion. It can be a stopped vacuum aspiration abortion. One survivor, Jennifer, survived a vacuum aspiration because abortionists started the procedure and her head was too large to suck out. Wow. Wow. So then women are faced with that option of, hey, I need to stop this and we can restart. It's going to be a different abortion. It's going to probably cost you more money. You're going to have to come back. And women are obviously in a time of crisis. Wow. So these are the untold stories. That's crazy. Yeah. I think what's also really cool is you're talking about, I think, Jennifer being a mom or Lauren being a mom. And I know you're a mom. That there's like this next generation of children who wouldn't be here if these abortions had been quote unquote successful, which is, you know, awful. But it's just like so beautiful to think about that next generation that is coming. It is. And, you know, we hear from people in families who will say, you know, it was my great grandfather, or my great grand grandfather who survived an attempt to abort him at home. And, you know, I know this story in my family and you know, by and large, they'll say we don't talk about it in our family, but I know it and I just wanted to share our story. And, you know, for the the abortion industry and their lobby to say things like, well, you know, it's always been this way. So why are you guys trying to change things? No, thanks. I see. I see the devastation of abortion. I know how many lives are lost still to it today. I'm not going to accept this as the status quo. Do you see how it impacts like the second or third, well, I guess maybe not third at this point, but at least the second generation, does it have like, I know that like people talk about generational trauma and like that kind of idea. Do you see it impacting children or do you think that survivors that are going through like healing are able to then help their children? That's, yeah, that's a complex question, but I'm glad you asked it because we talk about that and we've presented on it as well at some conferences. So you're right. We It kind of becomes the buzz in the culture to talk about generational trauma. We know that they've looked at, say, babies born after 9-11, right? Babies born to those moms and how they were impacted by it. We've seen people from the Holocaust. And when they look at DNA, they can look at cortisol levels and see how it is still spiked in that second generation. Mm -hmm. But it's really interesting to, to see how there are protective factors that come from it. So in many ways, I mean, obviously it is a risk for people, right? When there's generational trauma and the way that it affects people, but there also are some protective things that happen. And so we see that in, in these future generations to come, you know, for survivors, we very much have a fight or flight. That is who we are. So when we get impacted by that pain and the stress and everything in utero, it's like your fight or flight gets flipped on. And I always tell people like, I can never turn my light switch back off. My kids know what drives mom, right? Part of it is, yes, I'm passionate and I know enough that I can't ever stop. But I also have this biological thing about me 
that drives me. So I can't turn my light switch off. I've learned, I think, how to hack that system <laughs> and, and use it for good and be healthy. But most people can't do that. So we have a fight or flight and it does get passed along to the next generation. But I think that's where the healing comes in, where we can say, hey, listen, next generation, this is part of our history and it does impact you. However, we've changed, right? There's hope. We have we change behaviors. We may not be able to change the DNA, but we get to change behaviors and we change choices. We change interactions. Love changes everything. And so my kids very much would be able to tell you that, like, man, we know how abortion has changed people in our family, but I can tell you that we have become better people because we know it and there's been healing. That's beautiful. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we wrap up for today? I know you were talking about the month of September being a month of awareness. Is there anything else that our listeners should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, definitely follow us on social media. So Instagram, Facebook, uh, we're the Abortion Survivors Network. Our YouTube channel is also the Abortion Survivors Network. You can see that video that we talked about, um, the Faces of Choice ad. But you'll also find lots of videos of survivors sharing their stories at events. They're short seven-minute clips. I will tell you they will change you to come face-to-face and hear these stories. And then, you know, go on our website, read more about statistics. We've looked at Canadian data and know that if we correlate that, that looks like about 1,734 survivors in the U.S. in 2020, not including reversed abortions, chemical abortions, at-home attempts. So those numbers are even higher. So check out the numbers on our webpage, read more stories, find out when we're launching advocates in your state, figure out how to collaborate, subscribe to our newsletter. There's just always a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. I've really enjoyed this conversation and it was really great to connect with you again. Good to see you. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, please like subscribe, share with your friends. Um, yeah. Just get the word out there and keep on living the culture of life. God bless.